0: Seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand really quickly so the ushers can get you an outline. Keep your hands up for a moment. These outlines are important to us for a couple of reasons. First of all, they are important to us because it's good to write down notes. Say, take notes. Say that. Say, take notes. It's a good thing to take notes. Sometimes we get lost and, you know, we our, our mind starts to wander places. I'm not a good note taker. I'll just be completely honest with you. But I know this much. When I'm taking notes, I'm paying attention, I'm engaged with what is going on. And so it's important for us, and I, and, and I don't know, I'm not i am not a scholar or anything like that, but, you know, we learn better when we say it. That's why I make you repeat stuff, and then you write it down, and then you're looking at it, and then you're hearing it. So we got all the senses involved in learning. And so it's important for you to take notes. That's the first reason why those those outlines are important. The second reason why they're important is because every week we get together in our Connect Life Groups, and our Connect Life Groups meet throughout the week, and what we do is we discuss the sermon that was preached, and we hope that you'll take notes and that you'll be able to participate in the answering of questions that will that will go on within your Connect Life Group. If you are not part of a Connect Life Group, please see Pastor Chad Reyes because we want everyone to be connected. We want everyone to be able to experience fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we also want everyone to be able to grow as we discuss the Word of God, and so that's important for us to be able to do that. And so today, we're going to be starting a new series, and it is called The Real Jesus. We're going to be going through the Gospel of John, and I'll be quite honest with you, I was going to try to make this um, series as short as possible, and as I continue to pray and continue to seek the Lord, I really don't care how long we take in the Gospel of John. Amen? I'm just going to be real with you. I was going to go through like 13 verses, and when I got to verse 5, I'm like, man, I'm going to just try to cram a whole bunch of stuff in here. There is a lot of good stuff in your Bible. Amen? And I think a lot of times we just try to, you know, get through it so we can get through the next book. Listen, let's get through this book so this book can get through us. I'm just saying, I think that if we would spend more time in books of the Bible, our hearts would be transformed in deeper levels, and our lives would be transformed in deeper ways. And so we're going to take this piece by piece. We're going to go through the Gospel of John. We're going to see some amazing stuff that Jesus communicates. And that's why it's amazing, because Jesus is communicating, not because of anything else. Hello. (laughs) So as you look at your outline here, I want you to notice this. We live in a culture, and the reason why I believe this series is so important is because we live in a culture that has many different interpretations or definitions of who Jesus is. And far too often, professing Christians embrace unbiblical definitions of Jesus that soothe their need for a God whose name is Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. Now, you do know that there is more than one Jesus, right? You probably had a cousin if you're Hispanic named Jesus. Just, I don't even know why someone, if someone is in here named Jesus, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. Well, I am trying to be funny, but I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just saying, I don't understand why someone would name their child Jesus, right? I just like, yo, I'm going to name my son Jesus, right? That, I don't know. Anyway, but. Nonetheless, it's, 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 there's probably a reason for it, you know, holy, something like that, you know, just, but the point is, right, we have this, this, this mindset in our days where people want to worship Jesus, but they don't want to worship the Jesus of the Bible. They want to make their own God. They want to create a God in their image that they can label Jesus and say, well, that's Jesus, right? That's Jesus, he's just this loving Jesus, and there's no wrath. He never flipped tables over. You think about that. I love one thing I saw on Facebook. This, this, it's really good. He said, you know, when thinking about what would Jesus do, they're like, you know, remember that he flipped over tables in the temple, so that's within the realm of possibility. I'm just saying, because sometimes we think as Christians, right, Jesus was meek and lowly. Yes, absolutely. But Jesus was also tough. Jesus was a man's man. And so it's important for us to get to know Jesus. Jesus was the real deal. And so as Christians, we are supposed to imitate Jesus. So does that mean that we should go flipping over tables and get a whip and start whipping on people? Maybe, Maybe right? I'm just it's within the realm of possibility, right? I'm just saying, ultimately in the right context, right? Jesus didn't just walk into every place and start flipping tables. There was a reason there was zeal for the house of the Lord. So in context, what should happen is you should care about the house of the Lord. You should care about the worship of God. You should care that God is honored. You should care that faith, listen, if faith on a fellowship is your church, you should care that we were, that we remain pure and honest in our integrity and in seeking God and preaching his word and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And if we start going and following gimmicks and all kind of crazy stuff, y'all need to talk to someone. Hello. Because Jesus will get offended when we leave what is supposed to be truth, what is supposed to bring deliverance to people's lives. And so what we find in our day is that so many people have different definitions of Jesus, different definition. And see, here's the problem. When you change your definition of Jesus, you change the definition of everything else. It's all about Jesus. I'll say this right now. Christianity is not a philosophy of life. Christianity is centered on Jesus, who is the core of everything we believe. So, if you change the definition of Jesus, you change Christianity. We don't want to do that. We want to maintain the correct definition. And so, as we study the Gospel of John, a Gospel according to John, it is my hope that we will grow in our understanding of the divinity of Jesus and more so in awe of his greatness. That's my hope. My hope is that as we study, and and, and listen, in in, in the amount of time that I'm going to preach, I don't know that that will happen. I'll I'll do my best to convey stuff. But my hope is that when we're done, that you'll go back and you'll meditate over those scriptures that were read, that were communicated to you. And that you will allow the Spirit of God to just deal with your heart so you'll stand in awe of the Jesus whom we serve. John wrote this narrative, and just to give you some you know, some background history a little bit in the book of John, I'm not going to give you all the things because you don't need to know all that right now. If you want, there's plenty of stuff that you can look up to learn more about the gospel of John, but here's what I want you to realize about the gospel of John is that John wrote his narrative under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit after the other three gospels had been written, and so each gospel was written with a different audience in mind, and they each reveal a different characteristic of Jesus during his earthly ministry. And so understanding, you wonder sometimes, why were these four gospels written, right? And you'll notice that there are three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are called the synoptic gospels because those are the gospels that they're similar, right? They have a lot of the same stories in there, but the gospel of John doesn't necessarily have that, so it's not called the synoptic gospel. It's actually known as the spiritual gospel, but just to look down, Matthew wrote with the Jews in mind and presented Jesus as as the Messiah King. And so you'll notice when you read the book of Matthew, there's a lot of prophecies, there's a lot of attention to detail when it comes to Jewish customs and things like that that were there. That's how he wrote. The next one is, is Mark, and Mark wrote with, and I, and I put with and to, I messed up there, so you can just scratch out with, but Mark wrote to the busy Romans and presented Jesus as the servant or the suffering servant, and so that's who you see in the book of Mark. And then when you look at the book of Luke and in the book of Acts, it was written to a man by the name of Theophilus specifically but you know that God had a broader um, audience in mind and so probably with the Gentiles in mind as far as in Luke's mind and presented Jesus as the son of man which the book of Luke points us points out to us the humanity of Jesus but then when you come to the book of John the gospel of John which I said was known as a spiritual gospel to both Jews and Gentiles to present Jesus as the son of God pointing out the divinity of Jesus And so it's important for us in our days to understand the divinity of who Jesus is. As the church, we must place the highest value on the word of God. And notice how this gospel starts. In the beginning was the word. And what we realize is that the Word of God must be, and I say this as as often as I can and every one of our Vision Carrier orientations, the Word of God is the highest authority in the church of Jesus Christ. Bishop is not the highest authority. The elders are not the highest authority. Jesus is the senior pastor of any true church and he governs his church through his word by his spirit. Are you hearing me? Amen. See, the, pro- the reason why this becomes so important is because we put a lot of value on a lot of different things. Most of us, because we are emotional beings, we put a lot of value in the way we feel. The moment you walk into a church, everybody, I, I have yet to find the person that walked into a church and didn't and, and, and knew when they talk about them knowing that God brought them there. I've yet to find the person that walked in there and just said, did, that, that didn't say, I felt something. I've yet to find that person. I've yet to find the person that said, I walked in and I just, you know what, I didn't feel anything. I just knew and there was no feeling involved. Most of the time when you're saying you know you felt something, that's how you knew. Hello. Why do I say that? Because we put great value upon the way that we feel. If something makes us feel good, then it must be good. Are you here? If something is hard, right? See, here's the thing. I want you to think about this. Just think about this for a moment. In your life, when things are good, do you really pause and think, man, do I need to change something? Be real now. When marriage is good, kids are good, money's flowing, everything is good, you don't pause and think, man, do I need to change some stuff? You're like, man, everything is awesome. And some of you know that when things are so good, you need to start thinking, okay, what's coming? Right? Just seriously. But none of us pause and think. But when things are difficult, when things are not comfortable, what do we do? Man, what do I need to change? What am I doing wrong? Why? Because we want to change what we're feeling. But as Christians and as believers, the word of God must be the highest authority within our lives. I went to a conference on, on, on Monday and it was called the Inerrancy of the Word Conference. It was, it was a conference that was a one-day thing. Some really great speakers were there. It was at R.C. Sproul's Church and somebody purchased and purchased me a ticket to go to this thing and I sat down there and I was listening to these amazing you know, men of God that were speaking and sharing the Word about how we have to defend the faith and, and how we have to stand up for the inerrancy, meaning that the Word of God is without error, how we need to maintain that mindset. Mindset because that mindset is not held by everybody who calls himself a Christian. Hello. Not everybody sees the word of God in that light. So in this conference, I'm listening to, uh, you know, these speakers that are speaking. And and, and, and at the end of the, con- toward the latter part of the conference, right, actually right before the last um, segment of the conference, I met this woman, her and her husband, they're, they're ministers in a jail. And she comes up to me, and her and I are talking, and the guy that I, was, that I, that I met there also, he was in the group that, that I came with. Um, he introduced me to this lady, and when he introduced me to this lady, she, her and I started talking for a moment, and she's like, so what church, you know, are you from? And I was like, oh, you know, I pastor church in Oviedo. Like, what's the name of the church? I told the Faith Dome Fellowship, and she was like, oh, okay. And I thought it was a non-denominational church, and so then she didn't say anything. And then, like, right before the, 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 the segment started, she said, so let me just ask you one question. She said, are you reformed? And I, and I smirked at her, and I was like, okay, you don't have to answer me. She said, well, let me ask you another question. Then what do you preach? Her point was, if I wasn't reformed, I didn't have anything to preach. Let me, let, let, let me break something down for you. Any system of man that tries to systemize God's word falls way beneath who God is. There is one thing that we must preach, and it is this inerrant word of God. No system of man is going to make me know God any better than a person called the Holy Spirit who allows me to understand the word. That is why John said that we do not need a teacher, but we need to abide in the anointing. Hello, somebody. And we need to be in the word of God. See, in this woman in her cute, cute self, she was cute. Hello. I say she's cute because she was like 80. I'm just saying. I wouldn't say any other. I wouldn't say any, any, anyone below 80 is not cute except my wife. I'm just throwing it out there, Okay. So she was cute, right? And I'm like, okay. So she, she said this to me and it, it killed me for the whole sermon. I'm like listening to this thing and I'm like, I gotta go tell this woman, man, I preach the Bible. Hello. I preach the scriptures when I first became a christian. Let me tell you something the way the holy spirit had me He had me in my room on my face seeking him reading his word day in and day out I he, for the first year He wouldn't even allow me to read anything else except this word And can I tell you something that was the best time for me because the foundation was laid by the spirit of god And can I tell you something when your bishop went to bible college? I was sitting there after being a christian for three years and I was amazed I'm, like man, i'm not really learning anything. I'm confirming a bunch of stuff that the Lord already showed me wow that is amazing that you can actually trust the Bible hello that you can actually trust God to teach you what you need to know about God because here's the thing everybody's got some systems man I'm not going to name and call out systems but what I'm saying is there are systems of theology that are going to fall short you want to know why because God didn't inspire systems he inspired the scriptures are you hearing me He didn't inspire systems. He inspired the scriptures because a system is going to fall short because of what? Because no matter how spirit led I am, I'm still going to have to to, to inject my opinion. Guess what? This word is not man's opinion. It's God's divine revelation. And so what I want you to know here at Faith Dome Fellowship, and I was talking with a brother and he shared something with me that I was accused of being a heretic. I just it out there like that. I was accused of being a heretic of preaching heresy. And can I tell you something? The day that I don't preach this Bible, I'll be a heretic. As long as I'm preaching what is in here, in context, then guess what? No heresy here. And, and, and for those of you that are guests with us for the first time, and I can really care less about what anyone says about me because the Bible says that's going to happen. They're going to lie about you. They're going to they're say all kind of crazy stuff about you, and that's okay with me. I'm, I'm all right with that. I throw that out there because I don't want you to, listen, when someone comes and says, hey, that was false teaching, tell them to show you. How, does it, how was that false teaching? Tell them, show me what the Bible has to say about whatever it is you're communicating. When someone says, hey man, brother so-and-so said something that was wrong, or they said something that was, you know, that's not scriptural, ask them, show me what do you mean by that? Because most of the time, people are going again by their feelings because they don't want to hear that. See, the Bible says that in these latter days, what? That men will leave sound doctrine to follow what? Doctrines of demons. Can I tell you something, church? Demons love to tickle your emotions. Demons love to tickle those ears demons love to bring stuff to you that sounds really good that makes you feel great Listen, it'll keep a smile on your face. That's how the demons want you Why because they'll have you smiling thinking you're okay and guess what you are on your way to hell and that is what the enemy wants Listen, understand this the devil could care less of how good your life feels what he cares about is your eternal destination That's all he cares about. He doesn't care. Listen, you can have an amazing house or whatever, nice car, six-figure income. You can be the man. Hello. He don't care about none of that stuff. As long as you're deceived, that's all he cares about. As long as you're deceived, because if you are deceived, you deceive others. If you are deceived, you deceive others, and you will lie to others. But that is the reason why. See, this is the beauty of it. The beauty of it is this, is that when we have this word as highest authority in our life, we don't have to fear. When we have this word as highest authority in our life, we don't have to worry about the opinions of men. I was listening to some song this morning. I typically, I don't don't listen to the radio a lot in my car. There's usually, you know, CDs or something like that that I have. And then lately I've been listening to some different preachers. Just once in a while I hear them while I'm driving. But the other day I put on 95.9, you know, that's the Christian hip-hop station. Y'all know about that? Your bishop likes hip-hop, glory to God. And so... I'm sitting there. I like sanctified hip hop. Let me get it. Let me get it straight. All right. So I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this hip hop, and I don't even know the whole song. All I know is that this guy—I I can't even tell you who it was. I think—I think his name is. Yeah, it is. It's Andy. There you go, Andy Minio. Y'all got it. Y'all, y'all know him better than me. Glory to God. And the only so I know, because I'm looking down at my little thing and it's saying, you know, whatever, telling me the name. And he's talking to one of his songs and he's talking about that he ain't got a fear, man. You can't stop him. Hello. And I was like, Glory to God. This—was what, what, that your favorite song? So that's, that's a, I was like, yo, this guy's serious, man. Like, he was like, yo, you can't. You want me to shut up? You want me to not be who God's called me to be? And he said, man, you can't stop me. But it's not because of me. It's because of the one that's in me. Hello. It's because if God is for us, Paul said, then who can be against us? And so what we realize, the word of God must be the highest authority. I don't know why I feel like preaching today, but I feel like preaching. Amen. We're talking about the word. But nonetheless, the word of God has to be the highest authority. It must be the highest authority. Why is that? Look, look, look down at your outline here. As the church, we must place highest value, the highest value on the word of God. For when we speak of God's word, we are speaking of God's person. Jesus is the word. Understand this. A low view of the word will produce a low view of Jesus. And you can't have a high view of Jesus without a high view of scripture. If the word of God is not the highest authority, you don't have a high view of scripture, then you will have a low view of Jesus. Now listen, I want you to know something. You and I need to have the highest view of Jesus because when he is on the throne, as we talked about a little while ago, and we understand that clearly, then guess what happens? We are able to walk in the fullness of God's authority that he wants us to walk in. We walk in peace. We walk in understanding. We walk in wisdom. Because of what? Because we have a high view of him. Our trust, our hope, our devotion is to who? It's to Jesus, not to man. It's to Jesus, it's to his word. And so let's look at some of these things that we'll find here. The first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this, say, Jesus Jesus is is. the eternal word. word. First point is, Jesus is the eternal word. And so what we find here is it says in verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so verses 1 through 2 show us something, that Jesus is the eternal word. Now, right at this moment, if you're just reading it and you've never read this before, you're going to ask the question, well, what is the word? Well, most of your Bibles have a, a capital W next to that word, word, amen? And typically, the reason why you'll see a capital in front of something like word or he or something like that is because it's pointing to deity, it's pointing to who it is now that what has happened is we we did that you know as we translated it so that way we could understand better and we could reference better but when 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 John is writing this down he's trying to make a point he, he's pointing out to us that the word is with God the Word is God and the word was from the beginning and so he speaks about the eternality of the word or the the, the Word of God John doesn't start his gospel with a genealogy like Matthew or With uh, the revelation of the birth of Jesus like Luke or with the forerunner account like Mark, but with a different reference to the divine eternal nature of the word referring to Jesus. And so he starts off here. Immediately he comes out the box and he's like, yo, he says in the beginning was the word. And so what he's doing is this should be seen as the overarching principle that all of John's gospel should be read with. It should be this, that Jesus is God in all he does and says, and that what you see and hear from him are the deeds and words of God so what he's doing is he's establishing right away, in the beginning was the word. And what is he doing here? He does some parallel. The, the correct understanding of the divine nature of Jesus is imperative to our walk and our salvation. Why is that? Because there is only one Jesus who can save, and that is God the Son. We must contend for this truth because there are many who believe false things about Jesus. I remember sitting in a meeting one day. And in this meeting, we were, we were discussing, this This was around the time um, in the, during the last election, and I love what Ed Stetzer said. He said that because of this last election and because of Mitt Romney, there was this thing called the Mormon moment. And so what was happening is people were talking about Mormonism in a big way, and, and, and they were trying to equate Mormonism with Christianity. With, with Orthodox Christianity saying that it was one and the same. And what happened was we ended up having a meeting, a couple of pastors and I, and a couple of other people with an organization in which we were all trying to work together. And in this meeting, we were discussing with, um, with, with, with the leaders of this organization how there was a difference between Mormonism and Christianity. And when we, when we had this conversation, I'll never forget one of the ladies, she said, well, my daughter is dating a Mormon boy. And I've asked him all kinds of questions, and he seems to be legit to me. So, you know, we got two against us. Number one, her daughter, right, is dating the boy, and all Mormons seem to be nice. Hello. So it seems like they're Christian, right, because nice pe- all Christians are nice people. you know that's a lie. There's a lot of repentant Christians because they're not nice. I'm just saying. But here's the thing. So the point is, we have this conversation and we're sitting down and we're pointing out, listen, there is a stark difference between Mormonism and Christianity. Why? Because Mormons believe in a different Jesus than the Bible. There's a different Jesus. They believe that, Je- let me tell you, what they believe. They believe that Jesus is the brother of Satan. And listen, and I went to the apologetic Mormon site to find this out. And what I was saying is they're trying to explain themselves and say, well, what we mean that Jesus is the brother of Jesus is because they were both created. Hold on a second. Time out. You missed something in the scriptures here. Jesus was not created. Hello? He is creator. Satan is creation. He is created being, two different people. They can't be brothers, different, but that's what they believe. And so what does that do? You change who Jesus is, you change what you believe. The other group of people, you know, there's other groups, and, 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 and I believe this is Jehovah's Witnesses, what they believe is that Jesus is a God, one of many gods. He is not God the Son. See, if Jesus is not God the Son, we cannot be saved. Are you hearing me? And so what, 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 what we need to get is that he is communicating, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And what he does is he automatically jumps in, and what does he do? He parallels with what? And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a moment. But he parallels the book of Genesis because it says what? In the beginning, God. And so what he does here is he says, in the beginning was the Word. What beginning are we talking about? We're talking about the beginning of time as we know it is what he's saying. So before time was, guess what? God was. Understanding the word is a person who who is eternal should enable us to reverence the word of God as God desires with total surrender and adherence. The reason why we have to understand that Jesus is the eternal word and we have to see the word of God as what it is is because when we understand that when we speak of God's word, we are not talking about a dead document. We are talking about a living being. See, when you sit down with your Bible, although these pages are dead, although these words are dead as far as they're they're writing down and they're not going to jump up off the page, there is the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you and inspire these words. And when you realize what you are doing is you are sitting down with your God and you are having him communicate with you through his word, it's totally different because now we're talking about a person. We're not just talking about words, chapters, periods, and commas. We're not just talking about memory verses. Hello. See, when you decide, I was, I was so encouraged, Sister Anna, she's, I think she has. I'm not sure. But I think she's memorized the whole book of James. Is that correct? That's awesome. I'm just saying. That's a feat that I have yet to accomplish. And she was the one always saying, I can't memorize scriptures, glory to God. But here's the thing. When you... Take the time to meditate on and memorize those scriptures. What are you doing? You're increasing the Christ in you in that sense. And, I, and listen, what I'm saying is you are increasing who Jesus is in you. You are adding to yourself that power, that witness. You're adding to what? Jesus told his disciples something, said to them that when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to bring to remembrance what? The words I've spoken to you. See, you're adding to yourself this wealth of deposit so that way the power of God is operative through what? Through the word of God that is living and active. What you're doing is you're adding that to you. You're adding that value to your life. So when you take time to sit down with your word and you realize, man, I'm not just sitting down with a book. I'm sitting down with a person. Are you hearing me? I'm sitting down with a person. And this person inspired 66 books so he could speak to my life every day. God doesn't want you to walk away from Bible study just saying, oh, I read, I read a couple of scriptures. He doesn't want you to just memorize memory verses just to memorize memory verses. Hello. He wants to add value to your life. He wants to add character to your life. He wants to add his heart. He wants to add his mind. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. How, many, how come so many Christians walk around thinking crazy thoughts? Because you can't have the mind of Christ away from the word of Christ. If you are not meditating on the word of God, if you are not meditating on the scriptures, if you are not memorizing them, if you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe that life into you, guess what? Your thoughts are not going to be his thoughts. They just won't. We walk around in confusion. Do you think your God is confused? He's not. Our God is not confused. He has no doubts. But we walk around confused and doubting. Why? Because we see the word sometimes as just our Bible instead of our relationship with Jesus. Repeat this after me. Jesus is the the creative word. First of all, Jesus is the eternal word. Second of all, Jesus is the creative word. So just as Jesus is the eternal word, having no beginning and no end, so he is the creative word. Having all authority and displaying not only his limitless power, but also all of creation's complete dependence upon him. Understand it like this. We cannot be without his sustenance. We cannot be unless he sustains us. One of the guys that I love, he came to Jesus here years ago. Um, he was a Muslim when he came to the church, and God converted him in a prayer meeting. It was awesome. And this this man, he used to, I, I, I love the way that he used to talk. Because he would always say, man, he when, whenever he was talking about him waking up, he would say, man, God let me wake up today. He breathed that life into my lungs today. He allowed, he allowed me the privilege to get up today. You know, listen, do you understand that 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 is the reality? The fact that we wake up, it is because he sustains us and allows us to get up. He allows us to breathe breath. That's what is when he is when you see because God, here's the thing. God didn't just create stuff and then check out. Hello. You see, the reason why John uses this word here when he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. And verse three says, all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. When he's communicating this, what he's doing is he's bringing this word, word, the word, the word there for word in the beginning was the word is the word logos or logos. And so what he's saying is in the beginning was the logos of God. And what he's communicating is, he is using this word because in the Greek culture, this word had significance. Because the Greek, you know, all the smart guys that, you know, they, they thought they were smart, all of these intelligent folks, right? They understood the Lagos. They understood that the Lagos was the the reason. The Lagos was the wisdom. The Lagos was, that was what what everything was about. That's what sustained everything. So when the Greeks read this be like, hold on a second. In the beginning was the Lagos. They would, they would agree. They would say, yes, in the beginning was the Lagos because we are here because of this Lagos, because of the reason. That's what holds everything together. But then there were some other guys that they were Jewish folks. And when they heard the word Lagos, they went to the Old Testament. There's a word in the Old Testament for the same word that they utilize. And it is the word Dabar, D-A-B-A-R. And that word connected them with the Old, with the old Testament idea of the words of Yahweh. And so what he does is he comes here and he says, in the beginning was the lagas. And one group, they're like the wisdom, the reason. And another group, the words of God. The words of Yahweh. And he says, in the beginning, these words were there. And what he does is he points out and he says, listen, he said, and everything was created by his word. I remember sitting in Bible college. And as I was sitting down, we were going through Genesis chapter 1. And, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And the spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. And then it says, and on the first day, God said, let there be light. And the teacher asked us a question. He said, where is Jesus in this text? I remember sitting there and most everybody in the classroom which probably some people in here will say the same thing they're saying light And at first I thought light I was like yes yeah, that light and then I realized no said God said Jesus is the said Are you hearing me Jesus is the said of God he is the Lagos of God. He is the word of God. He is the creative force of God because when God said, then there was. See, that's why you got to be careful when people start talking about the Lord spoke. Hold on a second. Time out. Listen, when God speaks, things happen. Hello. When God, like, like, like I'm saying, things like from nothing become something. I'm just saying, Right. There was no light, and light became. There was no vegetation, vegetation became. That you know, when God spoke, things happen. When God speaks, there is power in God's word. And let me let me qualify this. I believe God speaks today, but what I also believe is that there are too many people who take God speaking way too lightly. People have indigestion. It's like, oh, God must be speaking. No, no. Seriously. <laughs> I'm saying, when, when, listen, we need to take seriously. That's the reason why the word of God, the inspired scriptures, are the highest authority. Because when God speaks, church, hear what I'm going to say to you. When God speaks, he is never going to speak contrary to the word that he inspired. When God inspires men, when God inspires us, when God inspires us to be or do anything, he's not going to tell us to do something contrary to these scriptures. God is not going to tell us to do something that violates his laws. Let me say it like this. God binds himself to his word. Are you hearing me? Let that sink in. God binds himself to his word. God cannot not love. Why? Because he said God is love. He can't. God cannot excuse our sin because he said what? God is holy. God has to judge sin. Why? Because he's just. So what we realize is that God binds himself to his word. He holds himself to his word. And the apostle John, when he writes here, he wants to grab the mind of all of his readers and let them know in the beginning was the logos of God. In the beginning was the Lagos of Yahweh, the words of Yahweh. In the beginning was the reason, the wisdom. It was what holds everything together, and so everyone embraced that. But then what he goes on, he talks about creation, is he shows that Jesus has all authority, he's limitless in his power, and we all depend upon him. Creation, the reason why he brings this up is because creation is at the heart of Christianity. Genesis 1-1 introduces us to the creator and outlines for us the created order revealing to us who is the owner, originator, sustainer, and ultimate authority over all creation. John strategically parallels with this with his statement of Jesus being in the beginning and emphasizes it by saying, He created all things and nothing was made without Him. Verse 3, All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. He makes it clear, Jesus was there every moment of creation. He was part of this created, the creation order. Redemption is only possible. Why is this so important? Because as the one who is ultimate authority, as the one who is the sustainer, as the one who is the only really holy, the only one that can be holy and and, and maintain holiness, the only one whose sin is absent from is God himself, he is the one who is able to redeem man. It's only God who can redeem. Only the creator has the power to redeem his creation. Only the creator has the power to redeem his creation. Nobody else can redeem his creation. Listen, when you go and you look at your vehicle, right, your, your, your vehicle has this, this wonderful thing. It's called a car manual. How many of you have read the manual in your car? Two people. I have never read a manual in any car. You know what I thank God for? I thank God for the quick start guide. Because it takes me directly to whatever I need to do, right? But you know what happens? This is what happens. That that manual there are what? They are words of the creator of that car. And when something goes wrong with that car, where do you go? Well, you can either go to someone who is an expert. Can I tell you something? They're not experts. They just go back to the manual. (laughs) Hello. Hello. That's all they do. They go back to the manual, right? They look at, what does the manual say about that? You know, some things, obviously, they know about them because they've been working with them for so long. But when there's a problem, something they don't understand, they do what? They go back to the manual. And so can I ask you a question? Who is the one who is is ultimately responsible for being able to fix a vehicle? Is it not the creator? It's the same thing for us, church. The creator is the only one who can redeem this because he's the only one who knows how to fix it. And so what Jesus does is he proves and John confirms that he is what? That he is the creator of all things. And without him, nothing was created. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, Jesus is the life and the light of all men. Jesus is the life and the light of all men. John introduces the third aspect to who Jesus is. He is the life and the light of all men. Jesus doesn't just want our allegiance, but He wants to give us light and life. He is the light and He is the life of all men. This is something that is spoken of throughout this whole book. The word life is used about 36 times in this gospel. You can't have life without light. Did you hear me? You can't have life without light. You need to have the light of God in order to have the life of God. So what do I mean when we're talking about light? Well, intellectually and morally, we'll talk about those two. Intellectually, light refers to biblical truth, while darkness refers to error or falsehood. You can't have life, the life of God, if you're walking in darkness and falsehood. Are you here? In order for you to walk in the light, then you're going to have to have what? Biblical truth. Morally, when we talk about morality, morally, light refers to holiness and purity while darkness refers to sin or wrongdoing. You can't have life if you don't have light. Let me give you a third thing here on that. Satan is the lead influence of the darkness that blinds men to the light of God and binds men from the life of God. Let me say that again. Satan is the lead influence of the darkness that blinds men from the light of God and binds men from the life of God. He's called the prince of the air for a reason. Hello. The Bible says he blinds the hearts of men to the gospel. And so there are people that you're wondering about them. And you Listen, you know how you pray for people that are blinded to the gospel? That God's light would enter their lives. That God's light would penetrate the darkness of their hearts. That people, listen, when you pray for Sunday services and the preaching of the word of God, that the light of God's word would penetrate the hearts of people. That when people are going through difficult scenarios in their life, that the light of God's word would enter in and that hope would rise up and that faith would be built up because if there is no light, there is no life. Satan is that prince of darkness. And you know what we're going to find out here shortly? We're going to find out that men love darkness. You would think, right, everybody wants light. Like how many of you, when you're walking from your bedroom, like from your bed to your restroom in the middle of the night, wish sometimes there was a light? Especially when someone puts something in the middle of the floor that should not be there like a a heel. Hello. Or a little toy from a child that you love so dearly. And you walk through there and you stub your toe or you step on something and you, listen, if you had a light, glory to God, you would love a light. But you know what most of us want to do? I'm just saying, I know me. You want to keep the lights off, right? You're willing to maybe suffer the pain because if you turn the light on, that means what? You're going to wake up. But church, can I tell you something? Most people would rather sleep their life away than live in the light that causes them to have to change. Most people would like to sleep in the darkness of sin and the darkness of compromise and the darkness of error and the darkness of deception. They rather stay there than allow the light of God's word to be turned on in their life to where they have to respond and turn from their ways to the light of God's truth. Jesus is the light and he is the life of all men. And look at what the scripture says. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Look what the light, the light shines in the darkness. Listen, no matter where the darkness is at, the light is shining. Are you hearing me? No matter where the darkness is, no matter how dark the situation is. Listen, I grew up in some pretty rough neighborhoods and some of you grew up in some pretty rough neighborhoods. And they were what we would would depict as dark places. Can I tell you something? The light is shining there. It may not be shining. It may not be shining brilliantly, but it's shining there. I praise God because one of the guys, when I was a kid, I was I was initiated into a gang, and the one of the guys that initiated me into the gang just the other day, he became a pastor of a church. He had been traveling, ministering, evangelizing, and God is doing awesome stuff and taking guys that were out there. Guess what? In the midst of the darkness, the light is shining. In the midst, listen, don't ever think it's too dark for God. The light is shining. It is always there. That's the reason why we need to be on mission with God. Because of what? Because he is the light and we are the light of the world. Hello. But see, some of us, we want to put our little covers over our basket or our basket to cover us. With those undercover Christians, listen, you need to get out of the covers. Hello. I'm just saying. We need to be the light That is shining so that way we can do what? So that way we can at at minimum give people opportunity. It says this here in verse at the end of verse five. It says, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And some of your translations may say, overcome it. When you look at that particular word there, when it's talking, it's two ways you can translate this word. One of them is to grasp in the in the way of comprehension. Like the darkness didn't get it. It didn't grasp it. And the other way to look at it is to say that the darkness didn't overcome it. In other words, the light is shining. And guess what? It may look like the light has been overcome. You can't overcome light. Are you hearing me? You can't overpower the light of the gospel that is going forward. See, we need to have the light of God shining. And, and, and notice this. God, he brings us back. God is so awesome um john the, the apostle brings us back to original creation and and notice what happens in the beginning we went through all that and the first thing god said is let there be light and then all of the created order those seven days that we know began with the entrance of light can i tell you something the same thing happens in the new creation god has to say let there be light in our lives for us to do what for us to be born again the light has to be turned on. Listen, you and I—I I, I, I love this. The truth of the Book of Ephesians. We went through it, didn't we? And 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 Ephesians said what—that you are dead in your trespasses. Can I ask you a question? How many dead people have you seen turn the light switch on? I'm just saying. If you ever saw a dead person turn a light switch on, that would really like revolutionize the way we think. But you know what? A dead person will sit in a room that is dark for as long as he is there until he decays because he has no ability, no power of his own to turn the lights on. So God has to do what? God has to turn on the lights in order for people to wake up spiritually. And can I tell you something? When he sent Jesus, he was saying, let there be light. Are you hearing me? When he was sending Jesus, he was saying, Let there be light so men can be saved from their sin. So men can recognize what? They can recognize the gospel. See, the gospel comes through to our lives, and he is Jesus, is the life and the life of men. And the gospel comes into our life. The revelation of what? This beauty of that. Listen, the bad part of the whole story is that we are dead in our trespasses, that we are sinners that are separated from God, that we are on our way to an eternity in hell without the hope of salvation. In and of ourselves. That is the bad news of the gospel. But can I tell you something? Your eyes have to be illuminated to that truth. Because many of us think, you know what, I'm okay. I don't feel dead. I don't care what you feel. I didn't feel dead until I recognized I was dead. I was hanging out. Gang banging doing everything that I was doing living unholy unrighteously doing all I was doing all of this stuff And you know what? No one could have told me I was dead because I felt alive as alive could get But what happened is God opened my eyes to the reality. You know what he opened my eyes to the reality of the reality was if I died I was going to hell this is way before I became a Christian. Listen, I didn't know. I, I, all I knew is that I was going to hell. And so I, I told you all this story before. I knew I was going to hell, so I used to try to say some religious prayer every night. Seriously. And it wasn't our father because I didn't even say that. I wasn't Catholic in my background. So I just made up my own prayer. Hello. My grandmother, my grandmother, you know, she was a Christian, so she told me how to pray. And I was like, well, I would pray. I said, I, I, well, I need forgiveness for sin. So I would say, God, forgive me for my sins. And one day my grandma was like, you need to ask God for wisdom. And I was like, God, give me wisdom. And then they tricked me to into going to a Bible study. And in the Bible study, they were talking about prayer and praying in Jesus' name. And I'm like, okay, I need forgiveness of sin. I need wisdom from God. And I need to make sure that this happens. So I need to say in Jesus' name. <laughs> so what was God doing? Light switch, light switch, light switch. Are you hearing me? Let there be light. You're a sinner going to hell. Let there be light. You need wisdom. Who is wisdom? Jesus is the wisdom of God. Oh, come on now. Light switch. Was I turning it on? No, man. I was out there getting high, doing every other thing under the sun. I'm just saying. Light switch. God was saying, let there be light. And then I go to this Bible study. And I'm like, you need to pray in the name of Jesus. I'm like, man, I want this thing to work. Hello. And so I start praying in the name of Jesus, and then all of a sudden, a couple of months later, I had this amazing encounter with God where I come home high off my face, messed up with drugs, and as I sit down in the bed and talk to my mom, my mom tells me what? She's like, you know what? You know, I told her what I did, and she's like, ah, you shouldn't be doing that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And they like, well, since we're here, let's go ahead and read from the Word. And I was like, I am out. <laughs> and as soon as I went to get up, the Lord spoke to me. I said spoke, spoke, S-P-O-K-E, hello. The Lord spoke to me and said, you have come this far. Are you going to stop now? And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And what I did was I began to be so afraid. I didn't know what I was doing. I got up from the bed. The door was right there. I'm trying to lock the door. My mom was like, what is wrong with you? I said, I don't know. (laughs) Light switch. Hello. The lights were shining bright. I was afraid. And she's like, sit down. And she started reading from the word of God. And as she read from the word, I began weeping and weeping and weeping. I don't know what I was weeping about. I was just crying. Because this light switch was going off. And then the beauty of it was, is that at the end of it all, my mom says she read through the whole book of Proverbs. That's 31 chapters. Hello. So that was a long time she was reading. I don't remember the length of time. All I know is that I heard a voice I'd never heard before speaking to me through her. And then she started ministering to me in a prophetic way. She started saying, and when I say prophetically, she didn't know what she was saying. But she was like, you know, God hears you praying. She didn't know that I was praying every night. She began to talk to me about things that only God would know. You know why? Because God still speaks in accordance with his word. And that night, the lights were turned on, hello, completely. And the light came in, and then glory to his name, I was able to come to what? I was able to come to faith in Jesus. But it was him who turned the light on and let me know that I was a sinner. That I needed a savior. But he also let me know that a savior graciously died in my place. He also let me know that I couldn't save myself, that I needed someone else to save me. And so I came to this knowledge of who he is, not because I figured it out on my own, not because I was so smart. It is because he turned the lights on and he showed me what I needed to see. See, that's the gospel, church, where sinners separated from God. There's no hope apart from Jesus. Jesus deals with our death problem, our judgment problem. He deals with our good works problem. He deals with our sin problem. He really deals with it. He nails it to the cross, dies in our place, and offers us new life. Offers us a new name. Offers us a new hope. Offers us this thing called salvation. That's what he does. That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is the living word, and so here's my closing question for you. What is your view of the word of God? God's word, Jesus is the light. How have you responded to him? I want you to think about that. I'm not asking you about coming to church. I'm asking you, how have you responded to him? My mom didn't tell me you need to start going to church. I knew that. That was something that came automatically after I became a believer. And so my question is that. What have you done? How have you responded to the light? Are you still trying to comprehend it or are you walking with Jesus? If you're walking with Jesus, you should be praying because there's other people in here that haven't responded to the light. There's other people here that are still bound in darkness. There are other people here that are still blinded and the light needs to be turned on in their lives. Today's the opportunity for them to have that light um, manifested in their lives and for them to be changed. See, there's one major theme that runs throughout the gospel of John I want you to turn to one last place here and that's John chapter 20 because this is your memory verse for the book of John. There's one major theme that runs throughout this entire gospel, and it's in John chapter 20 and verse 31. is the reason why this book was written. John chapter 20 and verse 31. We'll just start in verse 30, but verse 31 is the focal point. Verse 30 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And so Jesus did more things that are not written in this book. But these are written, the reason why these are written That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, meaning Jesus is the Christos. He is the Savior, the anointed one. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, God the Son, the divine God. And that believing, you may feel better about yourself. That isn't what it says. That believing, you may have life in His name. That's the theme throughout the whole Gospel of John. It is that Jesus Christ is God the Son, and if you commit yourself to him, he will give you eternal life. That's the theme. Because Here's the bottom line. If you believe that Jesus is the Word, you should never view Scripture as insignificant or unnecessary, but as authoritative, as inerrant, as inspired, as sufficient, as necessary, and as clear revelation from God to you. I'll say that again. If Jesus is the word, and I mean when I say if, is that if you believe that, you should never view scripture as insignificant or unnecessary, but as authoritative, as inerrant, as inspired, as sufficient, as necessary, and as clear revelation from God to you. The second thing I say, if Jesus is God, then we must recognize him as the almighty, the only savior, and the hope for our eternal lives. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and invite the worship team to come up here really quickly. We're going to sing a song in worship. I'm going to pray a general prayer here. And we have leaders here that are willing to pray with you. If you need prayer, first and foremost, if you do not know Jesus, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, if you have not made a commitment to him, today I call you to make that commitment. Not that I call you, but the light of the world is calling you. And so that's Jesus. He's calling you to surrender to him. And so this morning, I just want to open up this altar area for you, if, if that's you. And if you're in here and you know Jesus, but you need prayer because you're having trouble with, with honoring God as being the word. You're having trouble with your devotion to scripture. And you just want someone to pray with you, then we want to pray with you. And you know what? If maybe you just need someone to pray with you, we're here to pray with you. And we want to do that. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll worship. Father, we thank you so very much, God, for your great grace. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for your love that is beyond measure, your love that is beyond compare, God. And Father, we just humble ourselves before you today, and we ask you, Spirit of God, to have your way in our hearts, God. Father, you know what is going on in our lives. You know what is going on in our minds, and we just pray today that you would draw us nearer to you, Lord. You are the living word, God. And Lord, we thank you because we realize that you are here today. Father, we pray that you would turn on the light switches in our lives. That we would respond to you in faith. That we would respond to you, Lord God, in obedience. Help us to reverence you as being the living word, God. Father, I pray that you draw hearts to you today. As only you can, God. Do what only you can do in our hearts, Jesus. The altar's open. In your great name, God, we pray this.